Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to GEICO than saving you money, GEICO also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the GEICO app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions? More smoky mesquite. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the wet and gloomy monsoon weather we've been having here in LA has sadly been a fitting representation of our own sports sentiments this past weekend, with the Lakers setting a franchise record worst loss to the Mavericks yesterday, losing by 49 points, the previous was 48 points, and the Packers losing in convincing fashion to the Atlanta Falcons. But... At least the LA River is officially a river again, instead of a dry concrete platform that hipsters use for random photo shoots or cool hip-hop dance battles. So, there's that. Tonight's show is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider of audiobooks everywhere. If you use the URL audibletrial.com slash almighty, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial and also get a free audiobook in the process. So do that. Did you say process? Trust the process. Flashes. anyways with all that said i'm your host jonathan hernandez and i'm joined by my co-hosts alan riley and tommy alexander and i have to ask you guys how are you feeling after that green bay packers loss and tell me the truth how much of the mavericks game did you even actually watch tommy yikes so alan and i actually watched these games together the packers game was just alan and i are packers fans i don't know if that's ever come up before we're like huge packers fans pretty much our entire lives and um 
it was it was very very painful and i honestly i was at some point there was so much pain between the two games that i just sort of became numb to the pain it's like <laughs> anything could have happened in that in that time and i probably wouldn't have reacted you know what i mean it's like things were already so bad it's like you would go to one channel and it, we had dvr going so we would like catch mm-hmm. up here and there but like watch the Packers game. Okay, great. This is complete garbage. Let's go see what Ingram's doing. Oh, okay, great. This is like even worse garbage. It, it, I mean, we pretty much. I would say we really didn't watch the game that closely at all. And the fourth quarter, we actually literally did not watch at all. We just we skimmed through only offensive possessions. And even then, it was it was very difficult to watch. Alan, what about you? Well. I had a lot of fun hanging out with my good friend Tommy Alexander <laughs> and our other good friend Scott Andreen. Shout out to Scott and our other good friend Victor Wang. <laughs> Hi, Victor. Uh, that was the highlight for sure. Eating Domino's pizza was fun. Drinking adult beverages was fun. <laughs> Eating Tommy's girlfriend's really good French onion dip was delicious. So that's what I'm going to take away from yesterday. Uh, everything else was like you said, Tommy, it was it was numbing. Uh, I was desensitized to, to everything. It was just an awful day in sports. And I don't know if I can think of another day that had so much awful sports in my entire life, actually. Because both football games were very important and meaningful, and they were just crap. And then the Laker game was literally the worst Laker game in Laker history. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the worst sports day I've ever experienced. Did the rain have any effect on that? You know, not really. I didn't even notice it because yeah, everything either. that was going on in the world of sports was so terrible. Yeah, I didn't notice at all. Well, the outside was crying with you guys. Anyways, <laughs> um, before we get started, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more Zubots nicknames Larry Nance will continue to conjure up for his BFF, Ivica. Speaking of which, what is your guys' favorite Zubots nickname so far? Whether it's something you came up with, something you read on Twitter, or something Larry Nance came up with. Tommy, I'll start with you. <laughs> yeah, mine is definitely Zualcinder. I think it's yeah. hilarious because he's like trying to... It just it works on so many levels, and obviously he's trying to do the sky hook, and I just that that one's the most funny to me. Alan, yeah, same. I even posted a, a throwback Thursday on Instagram last week to when uh, you and I, Jonathan, were in Chicago, and I, I somehow <laughs> managed to hashtag Zual Cinder in my post, even though Zubots wasn't even playing in that game. And I can tell you right now, at least as of the last time I checked, which was last Thursday. Mine is the only hashtag Zoo Alcinder post on Instagram. So wow. everybody needs to get that going right now. Uh, I tagged Ivica in that photo, and he isn't tagged in very many photos on Instagram, so I, I'm sure he saw it. And uh, that makes my heart very warm in this cold weather. <laughs> very nice. Uh, I personally like Zoolander just because that's my favorite movie of all time. And it fits, fits very well. And Is that your, actually your favorite movie of all time? It is. Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm very confident in saying that. <laughs> no irony whatsoever. But I also like something I came up with. It's uh, Zootang Clan because the, they have a lot of good hits. So there you go. We're hoping <laughs> Zubots has a lot of good hits too. So Zootang Clan, everybody. All right, with that said, tonight, I think we have a lot to say. And luckily, we're not going to be delving into specific games, thank God, because these days that's 
you go into a rabbit hole of depression, really, if we do that. So we're just going to focus on some larger issues, mainly recalibrating Lou Will's trade value and what we expect at this point, and also just a lot of forward progress kind of things, looking past the All-Star break and how the Lakers should finish. But mostly today, we're going to delve into the front office and um, how we hope that some things can shore themselves up just naturally. Before we get to that, though, some quick notes. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has like three different ailments going on right now. He's uh, apparently going to be out one to two weeks, but he said that his knee isn't hurting him, but it's more that his calf. So he has some sort of calf strain or whatnot, and that's really what's hurting him the most right now. But he's continuing to participate in shoot around and working on his shot, which is great. I think that the Dallas demolition and also a handful of other games uh, where he was absent in November have made it clear that Yes, obviously we suck even with D'Angelo, but man, are we god-awful without him. And of course, when we beat Indiana on Friday, I think a bunch of Lakers fans probably short-sightedly jumped on the C, we're better without D'Angelo train, which is statistically and factually wrong. First of all, we're 4-11 and without him. And that's just like a Donald Trump alternative fact. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, does anybody have any thoughts on D'Angelo's injury and like what it means moving forward, Tommy? Uh, D'Angelo's injury, obviously unfortunate. Thank God it wasn't something worse because when I saw the replay of him falling like that, it looks so bad. Like that is like the kind of injury that takes a guy out for a year. And it was such a freak accident and it sucks that he's had these knee issues, but it, it seems like based on what they said today, it's more of a calf thing than anything else. So if his calf strain heals, you know, then he should be good to go. And, and that's good news. What about you, Alan? Do you think his absence is going to affect the team? And do you agree that we look even worse without him? Oh, we absolutely look worse without him. And I'm not just saying that based on yesterday's game, but even when he missed time earlier in the year, we were a lot worse. Like you said, uh, statistically speaking, uh, we were not nearly as off- uh, efficient offensively. So, uh, yeah, it's going to affect the team for sure. And as lost as we felt before he was hurt, I think it's going to be uh, that times 10 uh, going forward. But the injury did look pretty awful. Um, it's weird because we haven't had like a catastrophic injury in a while. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when that went down, I remember this feeling. <laughs> uh, so th- thankfully, it's like a one to two week type deal. And uh Unfortunately, when he comes back, if, you know, history can kind of give us a glimpse into what could happen, it's going to take him a while to get back into the flow of things. Yeah. And, you know, then we're looking at whatever, the end of February, I guess, when maybe he hits his stride again. So then you're looking at a full month of March and then half of April and then the season's over. So um, that kind of sucks. Yeah, I think that's the biggest disadvantage to this injury, like you said, is that he always seems to need a couple games to actually get himself confident again. So it's like a setback on top of a setback. And then shortly after that, Swaggy P went down with what looked like I thought it was an Achilles injury. I was like, oh my God. Oh like, yeah, he... that looked really scary. So two really, really scary, god-awful injuries in one game, but luckily somehow they came out unscathed and Swaggy P actually came back and continued to play and actually hit like five threes. So there you go. So hopefully D'Angelo can come back better than ever. And it looks like the team is just honestly like dying for that full week off for from all-star weekend so hopefully that'll do everyone well some good news though larry nance jr is back he hit a hit a couple jumpers last game as well and hopefully that'll get our defense initiated a bit 
The only other thing I wanted to talk about was Brandon Ingram's dominant performance against Paul George on Friday in the Lakers win. Tommy, what did you think about his game there? Because he not only did it on the offensive end, showing off an array of moves from turnaround Jays, and also he hit three three three-pointers, but he did it on the defensive end as well, just chasing Paul George around. And I think he held Paul George to, I mean, it's eight for 15, but I think for a good first half, he was really causing Paul George some problems. So what did you think about Brandon Ingram's performance? He had 15 points, seven rebounds, two assists, three steals. Yeah, Paul George is a legitimate superstar in the NBA, right? Like this guy has clearly proven himself and he puts points on the board against everybody. He averages 22 points a game. He shoots 45% from the field and 39% from three, which like what else could you ask for from your star wing, right? And in 36 minutes, like you said, he, he held them to 21 points uh, and he made it a difficult 21 points and four, he forced four, uh, four turnovers on George as well. I thought his performance overall was just like phenomenal. He he only let Paul get to the line once for two attempts. Um, he, he It's just competing, you know, you're starting to see like why we drafted this guy, why we think and we've sort of mentioned on this podcast why we sort of think he has the best overall potential of any of our young prospects just because he sort of can he looks like he's going to be a two-way player um i just give brandon ingram so much props this guy's 19 he's competing every day you know very often he comes out and he still like looks completely lost out there but this was the second time we played indiana you could tell that he sort of like learned his lessons from the last time and i think Luke sort of made comments after the game to that effect. And to be able to go out there against a guy like Paul George, who nobody in the NBA really has an answer for consistently. And to, like you said, he still played well, but it's not like he torched us for 31 points like he did against the Knicks or something, you know, two games later. So, you know, the next game, to put this in perspective, the next game he played Gordon Hayward uh, and Utah and Paul George put up pretty much the shot eight for 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so about the same stats and he was in foul trouble, so he didn't play as many minutes. Um, but it, it's just like nice to see Ingram's growth. And I'm really excited to see that what we saw in college was not just, you know, not to get too far off topic, but I was just going to say what sometimes you see things obviously offensively in college that don't necessarily translate. I think that goes defensively too. When Andrew Wiggins was drafted, everybody was saying this guy is like the prototypical two way wing. Like look at the defense he played at Kansas and he's going to be an elite defender in the NBA. And I still think he's a pretty good defender, but it has not translated. I I don't think in the way that people expected and not at all, not at all. Right. And, and to see that Ingram has been able to already show as a 19 year old rookie that this is who he is and his defense is going to translate. And it's already kind of there as a 19 year old. It just bodes really well for the future. Yeah, for sure. I think my favorite play out of Ingram in that game was the one in transition where he kind of does a Euro step and then does a reverse layup where he extends his arm. Yeah, it looked really cool. Alan, what about you? What did you think of Ingram's play on Friday night? Yeah, defensively is what stood out to me the most. He had three steals and he's been getting a lot more steals uh, within like the last week or so. And you can tell he is seeing what's going to happen for the other team. He's jumping passing lanes. And the good thing is, I mean, one could argue that's a bit of a gamble, um, but it's like a sure thing with him. You know, it's very calculated risk and it's working out for um, him most of the time. Whereas other guys on our team love to gamble. (laughs) Like uh, 
I feel like Julius Randle is that type of guy who's going to reach in very frequently when someone's handling the ball. And then um, it's going to put our defense in a really bad position. But Brandon is very smart about it. And uh, it's been paying off a lot. He's really finding his three ball, obviously. And it it just looks better. And I know we've talked about this before. But from like a fundamental uh, point of view, everything is looking a lot smoother. I agree uh, where he did that Euro step in the paint just showed such a great body control uh, mm-hmm. for a 19 year old who could potentially get hit right there. It, it didn't phase him at all. So yeah, I mean, we continue to be impressed by him and uh, I know there are going to be some people out there saying, Oh, well, you know, against the Mavericks, he was a minus 45. So what do you have to say to that? <laughs> like, it's really sad. That's hilarious. Really, really bad. So yeah, sure. I'll point it out and say, that is not good. But um, besides that, <laughs> we've been seeing a lot of uh, great things from him. And I, I do think out of the three players, you know, like the three main young guys on our team, if I had to put money on it, I would say he's most likely to translate into a superstar based on his physical gifts as well as you know we think his mentality and psychological approach to the game. No, I, I'd agree with that. And also just because... Right now, I feel like he's still conceding a lot. Like, 10 of his 16 yeah. points came in the third quarter, and when he came back in in the fourth, I mean, the guy had 15 points, and you'd think his teammates would try and get him the ball to get him his career high. But he was playing out there in a unit with Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson, and Julius Randle, and when you have guys like that who, who want the freaking ball all the time, like, he's just always going to concede, you know? So You, you can only high Im- basketball IQ players? Exactly. <laughs> so you can only imagine, dude, like, once this guy has some sort of aggressive mentality and even tweaks his mentality to be more like Jordan Clarkson's where it's like, I can just shoot this whenever I want to and get an easy shot. Like this guy's going to be amazing pretty down the road pretty soon. So, all right. With that said, we're going to close this quick notes and news section out. And we're going to go into our first segment, which is pretty much going to be a trade recalibration on Lou Williams and uh, what we're looking for in terms of a trade for him at this point and whether or not we've changed our takes on, what he means to the team. So with that said, we will do that right now. Yo, everybody get up. Everybody get up. Everybody needs to understand that I'm more than simply a hype man for this rap group. Just like Geico is more than just a company that can save you money. Geico also has fast and friendly claim service so they can help you when you need it most. And while I do love being a hype man, I also love reading for children's audiobooks. Like little Bo Peep, she lost the sheep and she don't know where to find them. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions? More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Do the right thing to have fun. Everything I said today about how good he's been playing <laughs> was not true in practice today. <laughs> he was awful in practice today, but throughout camp. Okay, so we've talked about Lou Will, trading Lou Will literally every episode since, I don't know, <laughs> Thanksgiving. And nothing's going to change with that. In fact, it's probably going <laughs> to... It's probably going to be even it's gonna, more. It's going to intensify the next month. Let's be honest. We're going to rename our podcast. Actually. <laughs> How to trade Lou Will. 
it's going to be even more lit on the Lou Will trading front. With that said, I think it's become more and more clear that there is no playoffs for the Lakers this year. They are now, tonight, the second worst team in the NBA. Miami actually beat the Warriors tonight. No. Yeah, that was so that sick. The score, dude. Miami's won like four games in a row then. They have. And tonight, Dion Waiters hit like the game-winning three-pointer. So these other teams are going, I don't know, they're doing the opposite of tanking, and it's actually helping the Lakers in terms of Tankapalooza, which we'll get to in a little bit. But New Orleans also beat the Cavaliers without Anthony Davis. So a bunch of weird stuff is going on. All that to say that the Lakers are the second worst team in the NBA, you know, second to Brooklyn. And at this point, as we see Lou Will continue to just get a bunch of points and numbers and take the ball away from guys like Brandon Ingram and Jordan Clarkson, I think it's becoming exceedingly clear that it would not be the worst idea to just get him off the team, get him to a team where he could actually help them and he'd actually be playing some competitive basketball. But mostly, once again, it goes back to just trying to get some sort of value for this guy who you know at the end of the day is just going to walk and leave. Before we had measured takes on Luke's, I mean, Lou's value and what he provided the team in terms of chemistry and whatnot. For me, I'm way past the measure take. I'm just like... Let's trade this guy for whatever we can get for him. Before, we were thinking of like high upside guys and in terms of Willie Cauley-Stein, Kelly Oubre. I think it's that it's becoming exceedingly clear that we probably won't be able to get guys like that just because of the yeah. new CBA and teams wanting to hold on to any sort of cheap asset they can hold on to. Yeah. And so even if we like bring our expectations down to the level of a late first round pick, in the 25 to 30 range, or even an early second round pick, plus a some sort of prospect that he might, he might even be undrafted, you know? I think even getting that would be something, in my opinion. And I think we're even at the point where we have two Albatross contracts in Lou Aodang and Timofey Mozgov. And if you can somehow use Lou Will, attach him to one of those guys, and somehow get a team who's on the fringe to get both of those guys, like Lou Will plus Luau Deng or Lou Will plus Mozgov, I think that would be a huge win for our team because it would free up so much cap space for guys we're not even playing anymore and guys that don't really do anything for us this year and then moving forward as well. So a couple of years ago when Jordan Hill was an expiring contract and the team had a team option on him for $9 million, you know, people were complaining that the front office was sitting on their hands because they weren't actively seeking out a trade for him. Back then, I actually argued that I didn't think that was the case, and it was probably actually more that there was simply no market for Jordan Hill because it takes two to tango, and the verdict was out on Hill that he was merely just a 20-minute type player. He sucks. Who got great? Yeah, who sucks? <laughs> Shout out to Jordan Hill, who sucks. Jay Hill. <laughs> Work on your game. <laughs> Yeah, but it was clear that he was just a 20-minute type player who got great per-minute rebound stats but wasn't a great defender. I think the situation is entirely different with Lou Williams because this yes. guy is a former six-man who has proven that he is still very valuable to a contending team as you know recently as two years ago with the Raptors. Yes. He's putting up career numbers this year, and he's shown that he can play in a fast, up-tempo offense that allows him to not only score but also play make here and there. So with that said, I'll turn it to Tommy. Tommy, what is your take on Lou Will. Do you think at this point, like, it's a just get whatever you can get for Lou Will? Or do you think, no, we have if we're not getting value for Lou Will, we just got to keep him. And if he walks at the end of the day, that's fine. I think, and this is where I've complete, I've shifted quite a bit. Because I think earlier this season, I would have been in the latter party. But I think now I'm in the party of let's just get what we can. And the reason is not because 
I'm desperate for assets. Assets are great. And I, you know, if we can get some fantastic, I just think that like, we've been viewing our rebuild this whole time from like, let's get the young guys going. Let's get the minutes. Let's get a new coach, you know, like let's get our system implemented. Let's set this culture. Right. But the culture is a sort of thing that has to be set in some respect from the front office as well. Um, we can go and Luke can go and talk about like, we're going to be a team that works hard and we're going to be a team that competes on every possession defensively. We're going to play deferential to our teammates. You know, he can go and make all these grandiose statements and that's fine. But what, what I think is important is that the front office also has to be on the same page. And if you were committing 50 minutes per game to Lou Williams and Swaggy P, neither of whom play defense, at some level, it's just like, okay, we need to set our culture. That's not how we play basketball. Get them off the team. I don't care who we get back. You know, if they're going to leave anyway, give me a second round pick, frankly. That's that's all I need. Yeah, for sure. Um, Alan, what about you? Because I remember, you know, two podcasts ago, you were a little bit concerned about what him leaving the team would affect the young guys. But has your opinion changed at all or what's going on? Yes, it has. And <clears throat> it's not an overreaction or directly because of what happened yesterday when we lost by 49 I think you just hit a tipping point naturally and at this point the momentum has swung so far in the negative direction it would be really difficult for a person to make a solid argument for keeping uh, these veterans that like Tommy said don't really fit the culture of our team I mean if Luke wants this team to be based on ball movement playing unselfishly and everyone really sharing the wealth. I mean, Lou Williams and Nick Young don't really fit that mold. Uh, Could they fit in that type of system on a winning team? Yeah, I guess, but we aren't that. So at this point, if someone's going to make the argument for, well, those guys make our team worse and we're going to be losing games because that's, well, guess what? We are losing games with them on our team because this team is bad right now. And once again, just to address people who would say, ah, I I think that's a mistake and you're getting rid of two of your best players. Again, what's the point in keeping two of your best players if you're still going to end up being in the bottom like three teams in the entire league? Um, And again, if those guys walk, it does you absolutely zero good whatsoever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in the camp right now of let's see what else we can get. Well, also because the type of play that Lou Will provides this team is the type of play that we already have so much of in terms of pure scoring, no defense. At this point, if you can even just trade him for not even a young prospect, but just a dude who fits the team better um, Mm -hmm. and and who offers up something other than bulk scoring, which, you know, in terms of defense... I think you just got to do that. It doesn't matter if this guy's 28 or 29. Um, if a team isn't willing to surrender a late first rounder or a prospect like Kent Bazemore, who at the time, you know, three years ago when we traded Steve Blake, we got Kent Bazemore, who was an undrafted guy, but who had shown promising signs with the Warriors and also Marshawn Brooks, who was a former first rounder. If they can get something like that, they do, you know, I, t- I do that every day. But even if you can't get that, I'm sure there are some fringe teams out there who would trade some redundant pieces for a guy like Lou Will who could help them so much in the scoring department. And like I said, this isn't a Jordan Hill scenario where there's absolutely zero market for Lou Williams at all. I'd be shocked if that were really the case. Um, So even in terms of if we just lower our sights to the point where we're asking for freaking 
Jody Meeks, who's who's out for four to six weeks. I would take that because getting Jody Meeks, and even though he's injured, like we can just have him on for next year, you know, and he could be Swaggy P insurance if Swaggy P offs out. Like I would love that. We're familiar with Jody Meeks. We know he's just a straight catch and shoot player. Um, he plays he, defense. He plays defense, right? Or even a guy like Brandon Wright, who's been injured for the Memphis Grizzlies this entire year, and he's about to make his debut this year. But he's on a $5 million contract this year, a $5 million contract the next year. And who knows if the Memphis Grizzlies really want him anymore because he hasn't played at all. Uh, they they always need scoring. You know, even a, a trade like that where you're just getting the possibility of defense back, like, I do that. You know, a guy like Jeremy Lamb from the Charlotte Hornets. I don't think they do that, but if they did, I would do that any day. Saying all of that, I know, Tommy, you have you compiled a list today at work. <laughs> of just potential teams Lou Williams could go to and just some realistic scenarios. And this is not even pie-in-the-sky type stuff anymore. So I'm actually interested in hearing this, so I'll turn it over to you. What teams could use Lou Will, and what would we be getting back? Well, there's a lot, um, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and look, I'll, I, I'm going to go over the ones that I think make the most sense. And I think mm. Before starting on this again, the point here is not that I think we in any of these we're necessarily getting back quote unquote fair value. The point is at some level, if you're again, you're trying to build this culture of we're a competitive team, we're a team that plays defense, we're a team that does all these things the right way. It's almost better in that in that scenario that you just don't have Lou Will on the team. You know, short of cutting him. These things are, you know, I would almost argue in some respects, you you'd be better off cutting a guy like that. And again, that's not a knock on Lou Will. You put this, you put Lou Will on a on a team that has an established culture and that has like an established system going, and he is going to do everything he's doing here, and they'll be so happy, and they're going to think they got away with highway robbery. But on this type of team, it just doesn't make sense for what we're trying to do. So a lot of these trades involve us getting back someone who's not really going to help and a pick or like simply just getting an expiring contract and a pick. But okay, let's go through what I have here. So how do you want to do this, by the way? Do you want me to do one? And then I don't know if you guys have them because I have like quite a few actually. Uh, Just just roll through them and Alan and I will just be like, "Mm, hmm. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So so the first team then for Lou Will could be the Hornets. Okay. The Hornets are sixth in the East right now. They're trying to make a playoff push. They're a playoff team. This is not really a rebuilding team, right? Mm -hmm. The Hornets have this year, their primary backup guard is Ramon Sessions, who we're all familiar with, obviously. Ramon Sessions has an ex- he's kind of an expiring contract because he is non-guaranteed for next season. Obviously, getting Lou Will is a huge upgrade for them. They're about middle of the pack offensively overall. Their bench is like whatever. You know, defensively, they're always going to be pretty good. And if you're looking at like all the players we have on our team, you know, it doesn't really make sense if they're looking to add a piece like Nick Young there doesn't really make sense just in, as an example because they have Marco Bellinelli, right? They could really use a guy like Lou Will, especially if you just consider it as a straight plop in for Ramon Sessions. You're suddenly suddenly getting a guy who you could put in 22 minutes a game and he's literally almost going to score you a point a minute. 
-hmm. And that's something that they need. So then you start looking at like, okay, Lou Will and Ramon, it's almost a one for one salary match. The Hornets own their own first round pick and their own second round pick. So I I don't know if they would be willing to give up a pick. They also have Christian Wood, who I think we've talked about on this podcast before. Christian Wood is a 6'11 power forward with like a 7'4 wingspan. I know we have Larry Nance Jr. I know we have um, Julius Randle. I'm just saying if you're looking for insurance, it seems to me that it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Christian Wood, who I think was kind of, was he known? I think, Jonathan, you might be able to add on to this, but I think he was kind of known for his shot blocking and stuff in college. Um, obviously, with that kind of length, you, you're hoping you can groom this kind of guy into being a defensive player. Yeah, he was uh, he was he was like a three and D sort of guy who could stretch the floor, but also block shots because he's super athletic. So, yeah, he's super athletic, super long, super length. And these are the kinds of trades I'm thinking of. Okay, so Ramon Sessions, all he literally all that does for us is he gives us a stopgap guard for this year so that we don't have to play Huertas. <laughs> okay, like that's all Ramon right. Sessions is, right? After the season is over, terminate his contract. So you say, okay, well, that's not enough for Lou Will. Charlotte, they have their own first round pick, which is going to be in the 20s. I don't know where because everything is so up in the air in the East, but it's going to be in the 20s. If they're not willing to give that pick, I'd take a second. I would definitely take Christian Wood, and that's the kind of trade that salary-wise would work. Yeah, I think that's a very realistic trade, and at this point, I would take that as well because you're getting another second-round pick, and then you're getting another flyer in Christian Wood. And at this point, you just want flyers for Lou Will because this would almost mimic that Bazemore uh, trade or Marshawn Brooks trade. Obviously, Bazemore showed a lot more promise than Christian Wood, He's who's not even playing at all. But at this point, just bring in a prospect. So, yeah. Next. Okay. <laughs> Next trade. Indiana Pacers. Indiana Pacers, very similar reasons for the Charlotte Hornets. They're they're a fringe playoff team, but this is not a team that's rebuilding, right? This is a team that traded for Thaddeus Young. They traded for Jeff Teague. Like, they're trying to win right now, and they have incentive to win because they're trying to keep Paul George on their roster, okay? Mm-hmm. here we Here's a name that's, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, well, what the hell? This is what it came down to. Rodney Stuckey. Yeah, I knew it. (laughs) Rodney Stuckey is a guy who makes literally exactly what Lou Williams is making right now with a player option for next year. In terms of salary, at worst, you're where you you're where you are right now, right? Like we were already guaranteed to pay Lou Will seven million next year. But where you start getting into the interesting things is they have their own first round pick. They have their own second round pick if they make the playoffs. I think it's like top 15 protected in the second round or something. Mm -hmm. So you start looking at trades like Lou for Stucky and maybe they give you their first. Lou for Lou and Tarek for, you know, because they need some front court death as well for maybe you get back Stucky, Aaron Brooks and their pick. That's just if, if they won't do Stucky and the pick straight up. You know, there's there's other kinds of trades that I think would make sense with the Pacers, but I think in terms of getting rid of Lou Williams, Stucky is not a guy who's going to be on the Lakers long term. He kind of sucks, I'll, you know, to be fully honest. He's like, I, I know what, at some point in his career he was known for defense. I don't, I'm not going to allege that that's the case right now. It's mostly about, for me, getting that pick, and I think the Pacers are unique in that, if they have a first round pick next year, what good does that do for them? Paul George is not necessarily going to resign there because they they got a pretty good 20-year-old with like the number 22 pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like you're trading you're trading Lou Will for a guy who is I I will not make an argument that this guy is anywhere close to Lou Will in terms of on-court value overall, even factoring in defense. But you're really just doing it for that pick and you're paying Stucky to most likely sit on your bench all next year and be your third string point guard so you can get that first round pick and draft a guy yeah. who fits your culture. No, yeah, I totally do that, especially if they were willing to give up their first. I just don't think they'd be willing to do that. But they do have a young prospect in Joe Young, who was pretty good when he came out. He They, they drafted him in 2015. He was the 13th pick in the second round, but he played really well in like summer league and preseason. And uh, I thought he had maybe some promise. So even in that case, I'd be like, yeah, Joe Young, let's let's do it, maybe. So do you? I just wanted to ask you, do you have the Toronto Raptors on this list at all? I do have the Toronto Raptors, but I don't think we can get to that later. But I just don't think we can make a trade work with the Toronto Raptors. Well, see, here's why I bring up the Toronto Raptors, because right now they have two first round picks. They have their own and they have the Clippers. Yeah. And the Clippers would be obviously the latter half, although I'm not sure what protection that pick is on because, you know, with the Clippers don't have Chris Paul for the next uh six weeks six to eight weeks or so so that might continue dropping and then at that point it's lotto protected yeah it might be so valuable that toronto's like well we have two early 20 picks here uh maybe we just keep them so yeah i mean just to briefly touch on the toronto thing i did look at that was one of the teams i looked at the problem with toronto is we don't really have anything that they need like they don't really have a need for lou williams just in terms of getting guys minutes on the floor between DeRozan, lowry and um Corey Joseph, there's just no minutes left at their guard positions. You know, it's like they could, yeah, they could trade Lou Will. But then it's like there's no players or combination of players on that team whose salaries are close enough to Lou Williams that you could make something work. The only thing they really need is like a power forward. And I don't know. I, In my opinion, there was nothing really that worked out for Toronto. Although I did note that they have two picks and they definitely don't need two, two first round picks. Okay, um, the next team I had was the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Unlikely that they're going to move Michael Carter-Williams unless we can give them a starting point guard, a starting caliber point guard in return. And I don't even know if we really want Michael Carter-Williams necessarily. Um, Between Dwayne Wade, and I know you're you're a huge Michael Carter-Williams fan. I'm huge MCW fan. (laughs) Between Dwayne Wade, it would be so ironic if we end up with Michael (laughs) Carter-Williams after all this crazy stuff that's happened with our our stupid protected pick over the years and the Philadelphia 76ers end up getting... Anyway. (laughs) Between Dwayne Wade, uh, Butler, and McDermott, they have decent guard and wing depth. They really, really need a guy just like Luke Williams who can come off the bench. I mean, they are kind of trying to pass Isaiah Cannon off to fill that role, and he is really not doing a good job. The only weird thing about making any sort of deal with the Bulls is to trade Lou Williams in any deal involving the Bulls. You have to involve Rajon Rondo pretty much Um, because I highly doubt they're going to give up multiple assets just straight up for Lou. Um, So one thing I had was, I don't know which of these young assets they would give up, but Rajon Rondo and either Denzel Valentine or Jerrion Grant, both of whom I think could fit in the future on this team, for Lou Williams and Tarek Black. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys think that's asking too much. I think that the the thing about the Bulls is... um, they're kind of in a bad spot salary cap wise. And they have a lot of uncertainty, right? Like pretty much 
they're they're going on a three man big man rotation right now between uh, Taj Gibson, Miritich, and Robin Lopez. They really do not have a lot of big man depth. Tarek Black gives them a little bit of insurance. I know he's not as good as Taj Gibson, but he's non guaranteed. Taj Gibson's a free agent this summer. It at least gives them a little bit of security there. Um, Rajon Rondo, obviously, they just completely want to get rid of this guy, and and they have no use for him. I don't know if they would get rid of a guy like Denzel Valentine that this quickly because I think Valentine has a pretty good amount of upside on both sides. But somebody like Jerry and Grant, I think I think we could pull something like that off. I again, I don't know if this is a team necessarily looking to move their picks this year. They have their own pick. And they have Sacramento's pick if it does not fall in the top 10. So most likely, I guess they will not have Sacramento's pick. But um, I don't know. They have their second round. They have their second rounder as well. I don't know. Do you guys think that? What do you guys think about that? Alan, what do you think about Mm, that? I I have a feeling Chicago wouldn't do it if uh, Denzel Valentine is involved. Even though, you know, he's averaging like three points per game. He's only playing about 15 minutes or so. Um, and that's like in the last 10 games, he's been getting a little bit more playing time. Um, I, I just don't see them parting with him for that. Uh, even though, you know, obviously they want to win now, whatever that means with their roster. Um, I, I don't think Tarek and Lou Williams moves the needle enough for Chicago to do that. Yeah, I'd agree. It'd probably be the Jerry and Grant deal, but also I'm surprised you didn't uh, throw out my favorite, my actual favorite, Bobby Portis, who is a, a combination <laughs> of, of Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle. <laughs> he is literally a combination. Um, yeah, I don't think they would they would uh, trade Bobby Portis anyways, just because Todd Gibson is an expiring this year and they need some sort of insurance. And apparently they've fallen out of love with Nikola Miracic as well, and they're actually putting him on the trading block. So... Um, but I would, you know, Jerry and Grant, maybe. Uh, I don't know if that's enough for Lou. And honestly, taking back Rondo, I feel like that's such a cancerous situation because would he even want to come here in the first place? And then once he's here, what kind of antics will he pull? He and D'Angelo do like each other because they're he from the same city. like each other. And again, I'm viewing this from the perspective Seriously. that his contract isn't guaranteed next year. It's partially sure. guaranteed. I think it's like $14 million and only $3 is guaranteed or something. So it's right. like... I, I don't know exactly, to be quite honest with you, what the rules are. My instinct would be trade for this fool and just tell him, hey, go sit in your ass at home. And if we find another trade for you, we'll do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, fourteen a 14 million expiring contract that could be converted into 3 million if you buy him out is like, I think, pretty valuable. Um, sure. It's sort of like, you know, if you listen to some of our, our earlier podcasts, what we were trying to do with Yee a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that's a pretty valuable contract. I fully agree that in this in this scenario, I'm imagining just Rondo does not does not even show up. Um, but if he does, that kind of creates some issues. Yeah, but that's fine if Rondo doesn't show up. And you know, even though Jerry and Grant has not really done anything, at the very least, like I said, you see the possibility of some defense at the guard spot because yeah. he's like six five. He's long. He played good defense in college, I yeah. think. And uh, you know, he could turn him. Luke could turn him into a passable defender at the very least. Yeah, so. and coming out in his draft, he was like one of the best playmakers um, at yeah. the point guard position. So I'm not saying, again, it's been a few years. He really has not shown anything yet, and he's already been traded once. So maybe these guys have seen some, have seen enough. I just think that, again, if we're trying to build this culture of hardworking, tough guys, we I think it's at least worth seeing, is Jerry and Grant going to fit into that mold? I personally think he would, but I don't know. 
Yeah, and also just to throw out another name who might be interesting from the Bulls is this uh, Cristiano Felicio guy. He's only 6'9", but he does play the center position. And apparently he's flashed some good jump shooting three-point range, even in practice. But he averages four points and five rebounds in only 14 minutes, but he does shoot 54%. And actually his per-36s are amazing. Obviously that can be said for a lot of guys, but... I'm just going to say it to this season, his per 36 is 11 points, 12 rebounds. Um, Last year it was 12 points, 11 rebounds. So the guy can clearly play. He's just an undersized center. I don't know if we want another Tarek Black, but I think their games are totally different because this guy has a soft touch and can stretch the floor. So if they threw in that guy as well as Jerry and Grant, you possibly have two prospects. And at that point it's like, okay, why not? We're going to get something for Lou Will. So yeah, we'll see. Any other ones? I have a couple more. <laughs> sure, let's go. Okay, this one actually, this I'm going to break the rules. This one doesn't involve Lou Will, but I'm like so lit on this trade, I just have to bring it up. <laughs> sure. Okay, this is involves the Houston Rockets, and it involves Swaggy P. Um, Houston is obviously doing extremely, extremely well and blowing away everybody's expectations, right? I think that... The problem with a Lou Will trade involving Houston is that it makes sort of no sense. I mean, they already have James Harden, Eric Gordon between. Okay, if you think about the two guard spots together, collectively is holding 96 minutes, 48 for each, right? Between Harden and Gordon alone, you're going to get to like 70, you know, especially once you start getting to like a playoff, once you start making a playoff run. And then you just figure whatever Gordon doesn't take or the remainder is going to go to Beverly and then maybe like, you know, I don't know, Corey Brewer is going to get like five or something, you know. So Lou Williams doesn't really make sense to me there. But I think Swaggy P does make some sense if this team is seriously thinks of themselves as like a legitimate we have James Harden, who is an MVP candidate and in the playoffs Anything can happen and we need a little bit more depth because if we end up playing San Antonio or even Golden State and we just get hot, we could beat them. I don't know. I don't think they, yeah. they you know, have a chance. But when you're a team that's that explosive offensively, I just and you're in this position, in my opinion, and obviously I'm biased because I'm about to propose this trade. But in my opinion, I, I, I would be viewing that from the perspective of we have to put all of our eggs into one basket right now because God knows if we're ever going to get this kind of chance again. Um, I think that Swaggy P, if you Corey Brewer is currently giving them 16 minutes a game and he is only scoring four points a game and he has no ability to space the floor. Swaggy P has a relationship with Mike D'Antoni, as we all know. He had his yep. like, you know, his second best season ever, or maybe his best season ever with Mike D'Antoni. Um, and Brewer is due seven and a half million next season. So, you know, the question is, how much is Houston actually going to give up? You know, this would strictly be a Swaggy P rental. Okay, like I would assume if I'm Houston, we're getting him just for the remainder of the season and the playoffs. And hopefully if we make a deep playoff run, it'll it'll end up being worth it. As if you look forward to this summer, the the uh, Houston Rockets have two guys who are most likely not going to be on the team next year, depending on how things shake out. But Tyler Ennis is a free agent this summer, and KJ McDaniels has a team option. Neither mm. of those two guys are currently in the rotation. I think Tyler Ennis and KJ McDaniels for Swaggy P is a trade that I I personally would definitely. I don't know if Houston would do it per se. I'm just trying to think from their perspective. Are we keeping Ennis anyway? Are we keeping KJ McDaniels anyway? If neither of these guys are helping us right now, 
is it worth trading for a guy who makes three threes a game and is shooting like 43% from three? You know, you're, if you're, it, it, it like is very reminiscent to me of that Steve Blake for Aaron Brooks and Ken Bazemore trade. It's like the Warriors were making a playoff a push. I mean, they were established in the playoffs. I think they were like a three seed that year or something or four seed. And they were like, okay, we just need a little bit more veteran depth at the uh, point guard position. So they traded two young guys who are both going to be free agents um, for Steve Blake. And it was just a Steve Blake rental. And that's all it ended up being. And, you know, I don't know how good Tyler Ennis is defensively. It seems like he hasn't really had a shot in the NBA, but he has a six, seven wingspan as a point guard. And I know coming out, he had a lot of upside. So I just don't think, I think for a swaggy P rental, it's very unlikely you're going to get a first round pick. So I just, I, that's what I would try. I would try to do something like this. What do you guys think about that? Uh, you had me at KJ McDaniels. You know, I'm a process yeah. truster. So I love KJ <laughs> McDaniels when he was on the Sixers. And so I would welcome him. But also Tyler Ennis makes a lot of sense because go, moving forward, we need a backup point guard, whether or not he can play defense. Like we don't really have a pure point. And Tyler Ennis is a guy who just passes the ball. And we're not going to be relying on Huertas and Calderon moving forward. That's for sure. And D'Angelo Russell, people are not even sure if he's a pure point. So, I mean, just getting some sort of backup for the future would make a ton of sense so I'd, I'd be fine with that what about you Alan if I'm Houston I would definitely do that because again they view themselves as a legitimate contender and if those guys aren't even giving you any minutes uh, you might as well get swaggy who like you said Tommy can blow up at any given moment and yeah. I remember back when the he, swaggy was on the Clippers and the Clippers were playing the Grizzlies in the playoffs Nick Young just went absolutely nuts in yeah, that, that series huge, he was hitting everything dude yeah so clearly you know he like can succeed in high pressure moments even though he hasn't had very many of them in his career because he's so confident yeah. Yeah. um and like you said there's a mike d'antoni connection so if i'm houston i i definitely do that and then clearly from the lakers perspective i mean again does it does it really matter <laughs> that we're losing him from our team no it doesn't yeah, And also, I think the biggest point, actually, underrated point, is that these guys are both free agents in the summer. Exactly. Like, what what is Houston going to do? Pay these guys? Exactly. Yeah. That's why I was I was like, I have to just, I have to bring this one up. I'm pretty lit on this trade. The salaries <laughs> match up, like, almost perfectly. I'm like, Houston is not going to keep these guys, you know? Even if Swaggy P opts out, you just trade two guys who aren't playing for a guy who's literally just going to push Corey Brewer out of the rotation, you know, completely wipe those 16 minutes or whatever per game out of the rotation, and you replace it with a guy like Swaggy P who Swaggy P is not going to be in there in the fourth quarter, you know, over Trevor Ariza, but he will be in there as a bench player who can he does exactly what Houston does. He runs down the floor and he fires up threes and he hits them at an extremely high rate. And it's another guy for James Harden to pass the ball to. It gives you a little bit more wing depth. I just think that this is the kind of trade to me that makes a lot of sense. And I see no reason why Houston wouldn't do it, even trying to take off my like Homer blinders. And um, yeah, it, this is the type of trade that I think we should be looking at. And I just don't know if our front office has like the balls, frankly, to go forward with something like this. 
No, I really like that one. That was uh, pretty creative, and it does make a ton of sense once you actually delve deeper into it. And who knows? You know, maybe Eric Gordon actually gets injured like he usually does. And then at that point, maybe Houston actually does want Lou Williams, and then it makes more sense for that trade to happen because they can have him for one more year. But I think, like you said, they should closely eye Houston Rockets because we have some pieces that D'Antoni could turn into lethal weapons. And I know Sam Decker is coming on hot and they've been playing yeah. him a little bit more but in the playoffs I don't know if you want to be relying on a pretty much a rookie instead of you know relying on a guy like Swaggy P so totally agree with you okay how about let's just do rapid fire give us like one or two more of your last um, trades and then we'll just say yeah or no I'm pretty sure we're gonna say yeah but go ahead. <laughs> so yeah I only have two more um, Memphis is my next one and Memphis is like a weird team, right? Because they desperately need help offensively. But at the same time, this team has to recognize they're not like a championship contender right now. So it's like, how much are they really going to give up? You know, but mm-hmm. uh, Memphis is fifth in the NBA in defensive efficiency, which actually was frankly pretty shocking to me. But but uh, given all their injuries, they're fifth in defensive efficiency. They're 25th in offensive efficiency. They desperately need help. Um, offensively the problem is they don't have any like barely any future a lot of their future firsts are tied up in like random other things and it's it would be too like messy I think to to get a future first from them obviously when you're looking at Memphis the center of any deal is going to have to be Vince Carter's 4.2 million dollar expiring contract Vince Carter is currently playing 24 minutes a game for them He's only getting them eight points per game on 39% shooting in that time. Um, I know we talked briefly about this earlier, and one person you threw out was Wade Baldwin, and I love Wade Baldwin, and I think he's exactly the kind of guy we need. I just personally don't think that's realistic. Um, I think Memphis does view Wade Baldwin as their future backup point guard, Um, and they, they definitely should. This guy... He is like a perfect culture fit there. He's like got a set seven foot wingspan almost as a point guard. And he uh, is just like he was known for defense in the in college. And he's going to fit in just fine there, even if he's not ready right now. Um, I think the only asset that they may part with who's young is Deontay Davis. Um, Mm. If you remember Deontay Davis, I think we were we were pretty high on him before the draft. And he actually was the pick right before Zubats. I don't know how high the Lakers were on him because apparently the Lakers told Zubats at the end of the first round, if you're still there at 32, we're going to take you. So clearly, clearly they had Zubats over Deontay Davis. Who knows though? Maybe Deontay Davis was right after Zubats. I don't know. But, and I know we have a glut at the four, but that was just one thing. So with Memphis, the one thing I could think of was Lou Williams for Vince Carter and Troy Daniels. Um, Hmm. Lou would pretty much in Memphis's rotation, just step right into Troy Daniels's role. And he's much more of a dynamic player, obviously, than Troy Daniels. Troy Daniels is a very, very good three-point shooter. And, like, that's what he does. That's what he's known for. But Lou Williams can, like, just go one-on-five and get you 17 points a game. Um, And that's sort of what Memphis needs more than a guy who can curl off of screens and and shoot threes. Um, I guess from our perspective, I don't know if Troy Daniels is the kind of asset we want. I kind of like it in a, in the, in the, in a sense that it uh, gives us a little bit of insurance in case Swaggy P leaves, but I kind of don't like it in the sense that Troy Daniels is a six, four shooting guard. And I, I don't know how I feel hmm. about undersized shooting guards. Um, yeah. I feel like the last few years we've been kind of stuck with those, but so it would basically, and, 
my proposal would be Vince Carter for, or sorry, Lou Williams for Vince Carter and Troy Daniels. And then Deontay Davis is sort of floating out there somewhere. I just don't know if a team that's definitely not going to win the championship this year is ready to move Deontay Davis when they have, you know, Zach Randolph coming off the books this summer. Yeah, I would do it for Deontay Davis. I'm not sure I'd do it for Troy Daniels. Uh, they do have Jamichael Green, so maybe that would make it easier for them to part with Deontay. And Deontay Davis, you know, we heard he was some type of Ed Davis type player who's probably even more skilled offensively than Ed Davis. So I would do it for that guy, but I'm like you, not sure about Troy Daniels. Uh, Alan, what about you? Yeah, same. Cool. Uh, <laughs> all right, give me your last one really quickly. Uh, last one. Oh, no, that was it. Oh, okay. Cool. So that's perfect. <laughs> well, that was a that lot case, of... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a lot of Lou Will traits. Alan, did you have one you want to throw out? Oh, no, I'm cool. Okay, cool. Uh, that's a lot of Lou Will options, but all of them are actually very, very realistic. These are like bottom of the barrel, folks. Like, if the Lakers could somehow find anything better than that, I would be overjoyed. But that just kind of shows you the uh, road we've taken to this point where we're like pretty much amenable to any sort of Lou Will trade that gives us any extended value into the future. Because this guy, as good as he is, is providing us with nothing. Probably for himself, he's like, I'm providing, I don't know why I'm scoring all these points for no reason. You know what I mean? So at this point, I think it would be best for all parties involved. Also just to wake the young guys up for the Lakers to really very diligently look for trades. Um, Which, unfortunately, we don't think they have the capacity to do. Which kind of bleeds into our next topic and our last topic. We'll have to save our Tankapalooza 2017 topic for another time because we're running kind of uh, late. But our last topic is going to be talking about the front office and just the weary road they've taken to try and finally update themselves in this new generation of the NBA. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while Geico could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, Geico has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Okay, clogged pores. I've had it. You think I don't notice your pesky blackheads? It's all I see. Why else would I be dodging photos, yelling back up, zoom out, not so close? But now, I've got Biore Deep Cleansing Charcoal Pore Strips. With natural charcoal, they pluck out stubborn dirt, oil, and even blackheads in just one strip. So go ahead, snap away. With Biore, I've finally found the skin of my dreams. Biore, free your pores. And there is no limit to how good you can be. Man, I really appreciate that. Those are strong words that I'm definitely going to take into consideration. So yeah, I guess we'll just start there. I called this topic uh, off with their heads, front office gripes for some reason. And you called me out, Tommy, like a couple months ago for saying that that I take a trade <laughs> for Bobby Portis and Julius Randle, some sort of Bobby Portis package. But now I would kind of like to toot my own horn because I have been complaining about the front office for, I don't know, two or three years now. And even with the Sixers, you know, I was talking about how trust the process hasn't worked yet, but at the very least, these guys have some sort of direction that they're clearly moving towards. Meanwhile, the Lakers, they're trying to like half-ass five things all at once and trying to do things like they did before without a clear vision into the future. And that we see now has really deterred them. I think the only real gold star you can give them the last few years is their drafting. And I feel like I credit that more to Ryan West and the scouting staff than I do the guys at the very top, like Mitch and Jim, although obviously they had a hand in that. 
But otherwise, if they did have such a huge hand in the drafting, why is there such a disconnect between their drafting savviness and then their seeming lack of savviness when it comes to cap management and then free agency strategy? I think the only trade that was savvy that we've made in the last few years is trading our cap space to take on Jeremy Lin's poison pill contract and then receiving a Houston first round pick for taking him on, which ended up being Larry Nance Jr., which goes back to drafting. So that was a really good trade. But other than that, we have not done any creative, risky moves that would set us up for the future. The only other one was, like I said, trading Steve Blake for Marshawn Brooks and Kent Bazemore. But even we managed to screw that up by not extending a qualifying offer to Kent Bazemore that summer. You know, gone are the days when the Lakers would trade Brian Cook and Maurice (laughs) Evans for Trevor Ariza, who wasn't really playing, but they knew, oh, he's a high upside guy who could potentially fit. And he ended up fitting like miraculously, you know, but we haven't seen a move like that in so long because the Lakers have been so risk averse. And then when it comes to free agency, these guys just continue to do this kick the can down the road kind of plan where it was all about saving money for the star free agents. And that's all it was about when guys like Eric Bledsoe or the biggest guy, Isaiah Thomas, were on the market. Mitch just totally turned a blind eye to those guys because we pretty much said, we already gave Kobe Bryant half our cap space. We only have one max space left. And that's a whole other issue, giving Kobe Bryant that crazy contract, you know. But because we only set our sights on big free agents like Carmelo Anthony, LaMarcus Aldridge, we didn't end up looking at these smaller, talented guys who could have helped us out earlier There was just such disconnect between the front office and the timing with which they made moves in terms of, okay, they hired Mike D'Antoni and they fired him during the same period where they get a guy like Jeremy Lin and they hire Byron Scott, who has such a old school mentality. We draft D'Angelo Russell and for some reason Byron Scott's the coach. You know, Mike D'Antoni's gone when he would have been a perfect compliment to D'Angelo Russell and the way that they're going. So even in the moves where it seemed like the front office was moving forward, There's just still so many disconnected parts here and there. And so I wanted to ask you guys, has it reached a tipping point with you guys in the front office and whether or not you're confident in them moving forward? And and by them, I'm talking about Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss. And Tommy, you've alluded to this in the past that you feel like we need a fresh voice. But I think it's become all the more clear that there have been some... Honestly, if this if this were any other front office guy, they've made some fireable offenses. And I go back to the Isaiah Thomas one where you had this guy two or three years back who was begging to become a Laker. In interviews, he was like, I love the Lakers. I was a Laker fan. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. I want to become a Laker. I think verbatim he said, I want to become a Laker. And the Lakers turned a blind eye to him. He ended up signing with Phoenix Suns to become a backup to Eric Bledsoe for seven mil a year. And now he is a legitimate star in the likes of Allen Iverson. Doesn't matter what his size is. He is a an all-star, you know? And the Lakers could have had him, but they were too late. And by the time they decided to start signing some guys who were semi-talented, we were left with Lou William at 7 mil, who is still a really good bargain contract. But also, okay, let's sign Lou Dang and Timothy Mozgov because we don't want to strike out on anyone again, you know? So by the time they decided and realized, oh, we should probably start doing something, it was already too late. And I think a lot of that stuff could have been pretty much inexcusable and we could have, we we didn't have to come to this essentially. So Tommy, give me your thoughts on the front office. 
yeah, I have no faith in the front office moving forward. And I was I was probably when we actually I think when we first started, literally if you go back and listen to our first episode, we talk about how the difference between one of the main differences between the two of us is you were kind of like a skeptic and I was very optimistic about the front office and and yeah. now it's just I've totally lost all that. I, I just think that you can't continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over. And that's what they do. We have a front office that's just stuck in this old school mindset. They're so arrogant that they have a 17 win team, you know, maybe this year, 25 win team that they're just going to sit on their high horse and be like, Oh, whatever. If we're, we're not going to just trade swaggy P for the sake of trading him, even though we're not going to keep him next year, we're not going to trade Lou Williams, even though he doesn't move the needle for us at all in the future, unless we're getting a first round pick. It's like this kind of attitude is, is not going to work if we're going to continue to try to build this team. Um, so I, yeah, I just I, I really have no faith. I pretty I pretty much think you hit the nose on the head with everything you said. So I'm not really going to elaborate too much. But it's it's very scary to be a Lakers fan right now. I think not because of the coaching, not because I think there's anything wrong with the young players. I just I don't think the front office has the courage to like make the right moves. I think they're going to sit on all of their assets for way too long, the way they've been doing for the past mm. four years and we're going to end up in situations where we just, I don't know, we, we have redundancies. We can't make any, you know, guys values are going to be worthless and, and we're going to be stuck. The operating key word here is archaic. So Alan, I didn't cue you to this, but would you lend us some social psych into what <laughs> happens when you just don't have any fresh new insight and you just kind of keep the same guys at the top thinking the same ways. And then they slowly finally get around to things, but there's still not enough alternative voices out there. And what happens, not even just in basketball, but just in life, when you allow something like that to just settle in and everybody just kind of gets comfortable. So, Alan, if, if you want to also add your front office thoughts as well, go ahead. Yeah, I think things get stale when you have the same leadership for such a long time without an infusion of fresh takes. And one thing I also wonder is, what is the dynamic between Mitch and Jim? Is it 50-50 in terms of uh, whose voice counts more? And and this is not to excuse either one of them, but let's just say, for example, Mitch would rather be more aggressive with trades, but Jim opposes that idea. Does Jim overrule him simply because he's also a part owner? Um. I, I feel like that dynamic can get a bit murky, and I, I wonder how <clears throat> Dr. Buss kind of defined things going forward. Like, yes, Mitch, you are the general manager, and you have a great resume, but Jim is in charge of basketball operations, and he's a part owner, therefore he has final say in what happens. That being said, how do you go forward from there if they're going in opposing directions? You know, what part does Jeannie play? Um what does Billy Burka have to say to that? Someone who's been around the organization for like a hundred years. Um, I think that they're pretty lost is what, just what I would gather from it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have thoughts on um, what that relationship kind of possibly looks like? Uh, I feel like it's kind of at its worst. Well, also, there's just, yeah, I mean, there's just a disconnect everywhere, including whatever Jeannie's saying to the public and the media and the message she's 
relaying out there, you know, since their dad died. I don't want to get into the specifics so much of that, but it's clear that there is some sort of disconnect. And, you know, um, if we just look at the moves that they've made, even when we were contending, I feel like, you know, Mitch got so lucky, dude. We fell ass backwards into these lotto picks because if you remember, we traded both of them for Steve Nash, pretty much, you know, these two first rounders. And somehow we just sucked so much that we were able to keep them. But essentially, these are two picks that we shouldn't have had in the first place. And then even if we just go back to the present, Tommy, just explain to me why we have Timofey Mozgov at 64 mil for the next four years or whatever. And Luau Dang for 72 million the next four years. What happened there, Tommy? Uh, the team panicked. You know, it's like in the previous <laughs> years, we were saying like, okay, here's all these guys that you know, okay, you want to wing, sign so-and-so because next year the cap is going to jump like crazy. You want to center, sign so-and-so because although it seems like an overpay this year, it's going to be a bargain, bargain contract in two years. We, we were saying that stuff last offseason, mm-hmm. the offseason before. It's not like all of a sudden Adam Silver woke up one day and was like, hey guys, by the way, it's jumping to $100 million, the cap. You know, it's like they teams knew about this and we were and we were talking about stuff like this and the smart teams were making their signings and, you know, taking their hits for the first year and being like, okay, I'm severely overpaying this guy for 15 million. He's taking a quarter of my 60 million cap. But next year, this is going to be a bargain contract, you know, and and that's the kind of stuff we didn't do. So what happened? We ended up getting Timothy Mozgov, who we had to overpay on day one of free agency to come here we ended up getting luel dang because we're a 17 win team and we couldn't even attract the likes of like solomon hill so we had to (laughs) we had to settle on paying luel dang which is fine to what we paid him but we are paying him that amount for four years not even like three years or something um and and so that's what happened it's like like you said it's a complete lack of connection between what we're what we're how we're drafting and how we're how the team is otherwise being managed. Um, where there's no creativity. It seems like when it comes to trades, like it's sad that still to this day, we're talking about that Steve Blake trade <laughs> that like <Yeah>. three <laughs> years ago was just like this stupid throwaway trade at like an hour before the trade deadline. But it's so creative. I know, you know, and like <laughs> we got these two young assets and Hey, one of them actually ended up being Kent Bazemore who just got a huge contract. But like, that was the only trade we've made. And like, this is a team that's horrendous. You know what I mean? Like all of these guys should be on the block pretty much, except for like, you know, Ingram. And if you think maybe D'Angelo, maybe you're like three lotto picks. You don't put them on the block right now just because you don't know who they're going to be. But pretty much everybody else, in my opinion, should be on the block. And there is some talent to move. And there are some obvious moves you can make. And you just can't sit there and be like, Okay, two of our top four players are low IQ. I'm talking about Swaggy and Lou Williams are low IQ, score first, no defensive, no defense guys, and we're just going to sit on those guys and just keep them. What, right. Like, what kind of what message is that sending to the rest of your team? You know, to be fair, there's still three weeks left to the deadline. Our hope is that they are working the phones for those guys, but they're given not, they aren't going to. <laughs> Jeez, man. I mean, given given their history and what they have not been doing, I think it would be safe to assume that they're not going to do that. I'm praying to God that hopefully they are finally trying to turn this thing around and trying to speed up the process and adapt quicker than they have in the past and are trying to make some moves. But like you said, history has not served that 
line of thinking very well. And just to go back to the cap management, it's really sad. Like you said, it's like it's not like we didn't have indicators of this coming salary cap boom um, two, two, three years ago. Because back then, we were dreaming up crazy delusional <laughs> schemes of how to fit two or three superstars, you know, because we were like, oh, it's okay if we gave Kobe Bryant a max because the next year we'll still have room for two max players, right? And then every year that plan would continue to get foiled because the Lakers just, you know, one would try and go for the home run hit and then fail. And then also after that would just leave their cap space open and we'd just be like, oh, okay, we'll just punt and hopefully get the next superstar the next year. And then that would fail. And then we'd be left with literally nothing. And our punts were the worst punts I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. They were like, let's punt with Jordan Hill. It's like, what? What are you talking just about? Like, just because you know him. You know what I mean? It's like convenient. Oh, I have a cell phone number. I guess I'll just <laughs> we'll just give him 15 <laughs> Can you not punt with like a higher upside type of player? You know, I'm sure you could have told Isaiah Thomas, who signed three, three years, seven million. Hey, do you want to come on for one year, 15 million? And the second year, we'll make it a team option for another 15 mil. He, I, I bet you who would have said, yeah, I'll do that. You know? Well, you know, like, I, and just to elaborate on that, a really good example of a team who did that and a team that's sitting in a much better spot than us is the Boston Celtics. They pretty yeah. much did that exact same thing with Amir Johnson, mm-hmm. who is like a, pretty much an identical player to Ed Davis. And uh, they and they took Amir Johnson and they were like, hey, we'll give you this huge. And they even didn't. It was his second year was only partially guaranteed. So like unlike Jordan Hill, he was actually a tradable asset. Yeah. Um, and and that would you know, why didn't they just do something like that? They have no creativity. They it just it seems like half the time. Again, I maybe this is I know this is being a little bit too extreme, but I, half the time it seems like honestly, they they don't even know what the rules are. Yeah, and then when they do sh- kind of show some creativity with that EGN Leanne contract, they just let him go where he says goodbye and they're like, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, like we we'll don't even meta. have. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, that's the other thing. We have Meta on this team, we have Calderon and Huertas on this team. And for some reason, I mean, I'm hoping they do this down the line when the season is for sure 100% lost. But the fact that we have these guys eating up a roster spot and we're not taking flyers on guys like even Anthony Brown, who we already know if they if they want to be lazy, but also Hollis Thompson's out there who the Sixers cut. They're just a whole bunch of other guys. RJ that you could Hunter, be taking, I think is out there. Yeah. RJ Hunter yeah. that you could be taking a look at and they're not right now for whatever reason. And I actually think the Lakers getting a reality check this early is a blessing in disguise because we can look ourselves in the mirror and realistically say, we're out of this playoff race some other other teams can fool themselves into thinking that they're still in it, and we can take advantage of those teams by offering up Lou Will or Swaggy P, you know? That's what I hope we're doing. If we're not thinking that way, then that's really sad, you know? That sucks. Because I, I think the losing right now, the reality check, is a blessing in disguise, not only for the short term, but for the future in terms of allowing the Lakers to just continue to use this year as just another one of these learning experiences for the young guys and also allowing them not to get too high on themselves after our 10 and 10 start, because we've seen what happens when um, a, te- a young team peaks too quickly. We've seen that with the Phoenix Suns, who barely missed the playoffs two years ago because they had Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight, and they were doing amazing. And then they got a reality check these last few years, and they were like, oh, we're not as good as we thought. We've seen that with the Minnesota Timberwolves even just as recently as this year. And we've also seen it from the Portland Trailblazers, who you know were like the seventh or sixth seed last year, and this year they're struggling to make the playoffs, right? So I think losing right now and getting this reality check is a blessing in disguise, but can the Lakers take advantage of that by actually trading whatever 
assets they have right now to continue to build for the future is the main question. So, Alan, did you have any other thoughts? Yeah, if I were the ultimate decision maker of the Lakers, which I guess in this case is Jeannie Buss, the first thing I would have to do is, and maybe she's already done this, sit down with Mitch and Jim and ask them, what exactly is your plan going forward? I want to see it written on paper. What are the steps that you're going to take to achieve this? And quite frankly, if you aren't able to do that successfully, you're gone. You know, she yeah. just needs to evaluate like that. And she's had a very hands-off approach to things, at least as far as what she's told the media. Like, they're the basketball guys, and I'm the business person, and that's it. I'm I'm not going to offer any input whatsoever because I don't understand basketball. And you know what? Like, that's fine. But you you must know something about people and whether they're doing their jobs well or not. That's part of the business, too. So do you have to be the one signing off on trades and things like that? No, you don't. But you need to be able to evaluate their job performance. And uh, so far, it seems like it's run its course. And she's, to her credit, I guess, she's been patient with them. And she's given them ample time and opportunities. Uh, but we're, we're at that tipping point, for sure. I think at the end of the day, you just have to hold people accountable. And, you know, nobody is going to credit Jeannie for her basketball knowledge and savviness, like you said, but she is the person in power and she has to hold these guys accountable, even though she's had a long history and relationship with Mitch and obviously Jim is her brother, even though that's a strained relationship. But yeah, I think honestly, they have to, she has to sit them down and they have to reevaluate that stupid timeline that they've been talking about. Throw it out the window. Of, it doesn't matter. No, seriously, it doesn't matter yeah. at this point. Well, also, even if they stick by it, they're way past that exactly. timeline already. Jim's saying, like, oh, we're going to contend by, at this point. What does contend mean? You, you can't yeah. use the phrase, oh, but we've shown progress this year. Like, we just lost a historic 49-point loss to the Mavericks, you know? I thought gone were the days where we made historic boo-boos like that. I thought that was only saved for Byron Scott, you know? Yep. But now Luke Walton actually has this on his resume. That sucks. Yep. Yeah, I think... Just some accountability needs to happen here. I don't know if they can promote Ryan, what they would promote Ryan West to, because right now it seems like he's just solely focused on draft scouting. If they could promote him to become a more influential voice in the front office where he can also have some say in the free agent personnel and all that planning. I don't know if he's knowledgeable in that kind of stuff, but I would look at promoting guys like that who at the very least seem to have a forward thinking kind of mindset because you see it in the way that they've been able to draft these, you know, second round picks, these high first rounders like Larry Nance, like all these decisions have been really great. Even, even drafting D'Angelo Russell over Okafor, you know, that was forward thinking, but how come we don't see that same savviness in free agency? And that's, (laughs) that's where the disconnect lies. You know, be forward thinking, give Luke Walton, the Tom Thibodeau, um, (laughs) that type of title, just make Luke the gym. He'll be the youngest one ever. I think Luke is so stressed out right now though, that he would just be Uh, honestly, he would be like so overwhelmed. No, thanks guys. I appreciate I'm flattered. Hey Tommy, but you know who is out there? That would be a good GM. Who? Sam Hinky. Flash the progress, everybody. Flash the progress. Trust the process. That would be the most poetic. We trade for Michael Carter Williams. We bring Sam Hinkie in, and we allow him to take the reins of this team with high upside young guys, but who have no identity, and we have some redundant pieces, and he is the one to properly consolidate this talent and bring us our own Joel Embiid. And the next episode, we'll be talking about whether there is a Joel Embiid coming up in this year's draft, and 
if it's time to talk about Tankapalooza 2017. So I'll kind of leave it at a cliffhanger there, I guess, if that's a cliffhanger. But yeah, Tommy's frustration with the front office is probably the most telling because he is the one. And if you go all the way back to episode one, like he said, who was the most adamant about defending them and always giving them some leeway and, uh, and being patient with them. But the fact that, Tommy, that you're so, you're, you're so over it, it's it's pretty crazy to see the the turnaround. But uh, is there any last thoughts by you, Tommy? No, no, sorry, no. Damn, silent treatment too towards the front <laughs> office. <laughs> it's getting getting so real in here. Uh, but yeah, with that said, you know we'll we'll leave it on that kind of depressing note. But I think you know the front office has what three four weeks here to prove them to prove us wrong, and to prove that they're actively trying to do something here and not sitting on their hands like they have been. You know, at this point, I think we can't continue to give them excuses and give them leeway and stuff like that. Like we have in the past, we honestly just have to question their moves because more often than not, there have been a ton more misses than hits. And they've only been, they've only been helped a little bit by the drafting. If we didn't have the good drafting, then we'd totally be setting them on fire with pitchforks and whatnot. So, but clearly it's, it's come to that point And uh, we just have to hope that things turn around quickly with regards to their mentality and just uh, really getting on with the times a lot quicker than they have. So Alan, any last thoughts? Let's hope they can pleasantly surprise us within the next three weeks. Yep, I think everybody is looking forward to that all-star, all-star break for sure. All right, with that said, thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us on iTunes, that's how many Lou Will trades Mitch is currently writing up on his whiteboard up in his office as we speak hoping to deploy a bunch of phone calls for this guy. So please rate interview us because you know how imperative it is to try and get value and just reshape this team and continue to move forward with this uh, with this young group as well. So uh, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. The Lakers play tomorrow against... Who do we play? Oh, we play Portland. Wednesday? Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Play Portland on Wednesday and... Uh, who cares about the games this, at this point? <laughs> Sadly. Just want to see but some yeah, flashes. We just want to see some flashes. Alan, why don't you take us out with uh, but take us out with a Lou Will impression and his thoughts on being traded to another team. I don't even care if you sound like him or not. Um, You know, if I got traded, uh, you know, I'd be okay. Uh, I'll miss the guys, but, you know, I'm a competitor. And I've had some good times in my career, but it's not going to last forever, so. You know, I got nothing but love for these guys, but, you know, see see what happens. All right, there you go, Lou Williams, everybody. Uh, We're going to look and try and find a better home for you ASAP. All right, with that said, thank you guys for listening. Laters. Tommy, Alan. Bye. Bye. There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Let's say you just bought a house. 
Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi! Did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi! You have high cholesterol! Hi! You're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi! There's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.